Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiny DevOps Podcast, where we like to solve big problems with small teams. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall, and today you can see, if you're watching, I'm sitting in a little bit of a dark room. Um, you may recall last time, the wall behind me was just plasterboard. Now it's been painted, uh, but I still don't have my lights up. This wall hasn't been finished, so I'm sitting in the dark. Um, please forgive the, the bad video uh, if you're watching this. Um, today, I'm, we want to talk about fractional CTOs, um, what they are, uh, what you might want one for if if you're in the, the, the market for that sort of thing. And to discuss this, I have my guest today, Morgan Kraft. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Would you tell the audience a little bit about what you do and uh, your background with fractional CTOing? Yeah, so just to kind of jump in, I'm, I'm based out of the New York City area. Started my career here in, in, in New York as a software developer. PHP, jQuery is when I got my start. Uh, nice. and, you know, worked my way up into engineering leadership and eventually took over as a CTO at a Y Combinator startup, uh, took that company to an exit in 2019 and then left that to go found my own startup and sort of was bootstrapping it. And what ended up happening was as I was bootstrapping, I was consulting, just sort of hired as a developer, but quickly came into a company and they were like, can you just be our CTO? And I was in the position where I'm, I'm building a startup. I have partners. I'm like, I can't just be your CTO. I have my own startup. But that's when I learned that this fractional CTO was actually a thing I could do that companies, especially small sort of startups getting started that don't have technical founders, typically they, don't, they need a CTO. And so that kind of led me to this path of, oh, I could, I could actually build a consultancy around just being a fractional CTO. So that's kind of how I got my start into the industry and going down this path of, of being a fractional CTO. Awesome. So so you've been doing this fractional CTO thing then for what, two or three years? Is that about right? No, actually, I'd say maybe no. 18 months now. I, actually, okay. maybe less, 14 months. Okay. So, But I've been a, a CTO previously three, four years. Yeah, so full-time CTO longer than yeah. that. Yeah. And so I, I'd already, and I already took a company through an exit. So, uh, you know, along that journey, the, the company I was at was called Hickory Training. We were Y Combinator 2015. And a lot of our customers were, you know, Bloomberg, BlackRock, Shopify. So I'd gone through this security due diligence process with a, a, multiple companies, you know, and getting through their actual compliance team. So part of my background as a CTO at that company was very, very diverse, as you can imagine. At a small startup, I wore every sort of hat you could possibly man imagine. Plus, I would manage, you know, the developers, you're looking at code reviews, Django, Python, React. So very still hands-on at that stage. So it was a, a definitely a, a, a good experience for me to learn all these different areas and gave me then the skills as I'm now working as this fractional CTO. I can really came into it as a generalist. So Whatever you need me to do, I can do it from a from a technical leadership perspective, and so that's sort of been what I've been doing. But now, as I've been going on, I'm starting to focus a little bit more around sort of what is the offering, how do I help clients, and so on. You you did a recent uh, interview on the uh, Managers Club uh, podcast, if I'm not mistaken, where you talked about some of the same things, for, sort of from your perspective, from the perspective of somebody who's going into 
being a fractional CTO. Uh, so if anybody's interested in that topic, by the way, I'll have a link to the sh in the show notes to that uh, that interview. Uh, but I'm interested in in hearing kind of the other side. So um, you've been a <clears throat> you've taken a, a startup to exit before. So m maybe we can try to put put that hat on uh, mm -hmm. right now. That the, the the sort of founder hat. When does it make sense, in your opinion, for a a company, whether they're a startup or or, or not, what any company? When does it make sense for them to look for a fractional CTO as opposed to a full-time CTO? Why, why would you make that choice? I think the big piece to the hiring a full-time CTO and, and what I tell a lot of my clients, uh, good luck. Because the problem you're going to run into, especially here in the New York City area, but it could be anywhere, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, Google, Facebook, you know, they all hire developers. And they're willing to pay a CTO, <clears throat> let's say 250, 300K plus benefits and options to come work there. And if you're a small startup that's maybe raised a million dollars, you don't have that money to go spend on a, on a fractional CTO or on a CTO. Like, you're, good luck. And, and at the same time, depending on what you're building, if you're building a small, you know, B2B or I'm sorry, B2C sort of company, you're not going to get that, that CTO. It's not going to come to your startup. They just won't. And so the, I think the struggle that really happens for folks is that you can't hire a full-time CTO because you can't afford them and good luck recruiting them because they're going to go to a larger company or a, a cooler, better, well-funded startup. And so the, the market itself is there. There's so many, there's so much venture capital. There are so many startups. They're all fighting over a small pool of CTOs. And I think what's evolving now is this realization that every company is becoming a, a software company. I don't care what you do anymore. Like you have marketing tech, you have so many pieces in your, your stack that are technology driven and you ultimately end up needing some sort of technical leader to come in and provide strategy and to provide the ability to like build a internal software team to some degree, whether it's one or two engineers. So, so in your question of when does it make sense? My answer is for folks, for most folks, it makes sense as soon as you possibly can and you and you realize that's kind of what you need to do because every company sort of ends up needing some sort of technical leader. And what I'm finding now with my clients, a lot of them are small setup startups that have been venture backed. And in some cases they are, they don't have a technical founder. So I, I work with a couple of VCs here in New York city and they, they give me portfolio companies where they've backed a, a set of founders that are, they have a great mission and, and a lot of great experience in some vertical, let's say, but they don't have a technical founder. And so they need someone to come in. And in these cases, they may have an engineer. They may not, it depends. But in, in some cases they have one or two developers, maybe they're, they're local, maybe they're overseas. And essentially my role is to come in and help start to get that team functioning, create ownership, accountability, start to help the, the founders. Um, you know, basically I become a partner for them in a way in that I'm helping them figure out what's the strategy, who we hire and how we hire and what are we building? What's the roadmap? And in, in many cases, having a founder myself, I have my own startup that I run, plus having built and sold a startup, I become very close with these founders and, and helping guide them. And so I've created that vertical for myself where I'm focused on sort of these smaller startups, but there are so many companies out there that they haven't even raised money. They just, they've, Somehow they've managed to build a company and have revenue, I kid you not, and they are like making a go of it without a CTO, but they are struggling 
on the software side. Oh, I'd like to touch on that a little bit too, because I, I can imagine a lot of people, especially if you're bootstrapping, uh, you're thinking, I, I'll, I'll just make it a little bit longer without a CTO, without real technical leadership. What are the pains that come from from that approach? Uh, is it ever appropriate? And, and if not, what are the pains that come from that? <laughs> I think in some, some of the stories I have heard from clients, it, it, some of them are the same. It's I've spent 100, 300 grand, nine months of time on these developers overseas or offshore, and I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's wrong, but I know something's not right because I don't, nothing's been delivered and it's been nine months and I come in and then I start to look and either, you know, I get access to the code base and I can tell like the developers just aren't doing anything. And then I'm asking those questions of, do you have a staging environment? Like, do you have weekly demos? And the answer is no, I don't have any of those. And so very quickly, it's just creating that process of establishing a staging environment, getting the work and getting ownership and accountability, I'd say that's probably the biggest pain right off the bat is that the the executive, you know, the, the CEO or the operator isn't technical and can't hold the individuals accountable for the work getting delivered ultimately. I think that's one of the biggest pains that I see is that that piece of it. The other would be recruiting. Recruiting developers for a company is very hard. As you can imagine, like just recruiting developers is hard. Even if you're a technical, recruiting a developer is, is challenging. And so for someone who is not technical, that vetting and and hiring a developer, is, it's very hard as well. So a lot of my clients, I, I end up doing that piece of it as well. A lot of it is recruiting. I'm gonna I'm not gonna be I'm gonna be honest on that. I do a lot of recruiting at this point. So I'm curious how much hands-on work you do because I I, I, I've, I was originally talking to a startup who's looking to hire a CTO and they want somebody who can come in and continue development on their Python code base, but also help with strategy, strategy and, and your driving business. Do you do that or do you, as a fractional CTO, do you stay more strategic and, and recruitment sort of focused? Yeah, so I can do that. I don't like to do that for my clients because okay. it doesn't scale for me it does not scale yeah. i can't be in a bunch of different code bases writing code opening prs doing code reviews on other developers it's very time consuming and to be honest for someone to get me to do that for a client you would have to pay me a lot of money just because i would have to kill all my other folk like it would be a lot of effort so i i can do it i understand the motion but i try to not do that I try to sit a little bit higher up in the stack in which I'm the person there to help find that person who is maybe a technical lead. So they're in the position where they want to become maybe an engineering manager, maybe run the team of, let's say, a small squad of two to three developers. And so ideally, I'd find that person, help mentor them, get them to the position to do that role. So that is typically what I'm trying to do as the fractional CTO is, is to actually mold that process and to put that process into place and to find the people and the team that can, I can hand that over to. I would say though, the one thing I'm still hands on though, for a lot of my clients would be sort of product grooming and that piece of like story writing, because I find also really back to the pain and, and challenges are, are writing the stories and building a product roadmap clients coming to me, they, they may have a product person and that would be the next piece and, and goes to the CTO side of this is as a CTO at a small startup, you're going to end up owning product. 
And so you have to learn to do product. And when I work with a team that doesn't have a product mindset, I end up filling that gap as well as a contributor. So very much I'm helping figure out the roadmap. A lot of it is the writing the stories and planning the work and then teaching the team what a good story looks like. And I would say for now, that would that's definitely a large chunk of my contribution effort is putting that into place and being up because product feeds to engineering. So it sits upstream. So a lot of my work is is in that area as well. So you, you talked a little bit about how difficult it is to hire uh, developers. And, and I think any technical role, whether it's a developer or an operations engineer or anything like that, that's hard, especially if you're not a technical person. If you're, if you're a non-technical founder, you have a great idea, but you don't know how to implement it. Hiring those people is hard, but there's a sort of a chicken egg problem. They need to, they need to hire a CTO or a fractional CTO. How, how do they vet somebody like you? How do they know that you know what you're talking about and you can help? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how do you how do you break that cycle of ignorance <laughs> that I that I'm still trying to figure out I would say right now it's referrals and I think that's where some founders have an advantage especially if they have VCs or some some advisor they can get help and there are people out there that do technical advising you know and I thought there for a while I could do it myself typically the technical advisors aren't always paid in my experience with a small startup, my advisors, I pay them equity. And so they can be helpful from that perspective if you have advisors that can help. But I think the rubric for finding a good fractional CTO can be a challenge still. And I think as an industry, it's still early days. I think we're going to start to figure it out. There's starting to be some marketplaces that exist out there to potentially find a fractional CTO. I would say when you're talking to someone, depending on what stage you're at, that's that's the big piece of it. Look for someone who's sort of done. It, it depends on what you're building. If you're building a payments platform and you know you have to do security and governance and like you have all these sort of banking laws you have to follow, in that case, you need a fractional CTO that can, has done security audits and, and understands compliance and those sorts of things. But if you're building a a B2C that sells shoes on Instagram, but you need someone to help you build a, a platform around Shopify and you need like Clavio and you have all these integrations. And in that case, you probably don't need that CT, fractional CTO to have that security piece and that payment or like with a governance background, you can maybe go with a fractional CTO that actually does D2C, understands Facebook ads, growth marketing, building that sort of marketing engine. And so I think the rubric for like examining which fractional CTO to hire really depends on sort of what niche you're in, but you kind of really need to talk to someone about like their, their unique experiences. But I, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's not easy. And I think there's a lot to be done in this space still around how we right. hire and source and find fractional CTOs. Right. How important is it, do you think, for the fractional for a fractional CTO to be well versed in in the particular tech stack you're using, mm. uh, or, or if if you're working at a more strategic level, is that less important? Yeah, I think it it can be important. I'm not going to say it's not, and I would say if someone came to me and they were, they wanted me to help them and they were Rails, I would be somewhat. A no, <laughs> potentially. I wouldn't, I, or at least I'd be very clear with them. Like Rails is not my jam. 
I do a lot of other languages. I can do Django, Python, Node. I can do some Golang. But devly.net, no, and Rails, no. They're not my not my go-tos. I can read Rails code, but I wouldn't don't expect me to do a code review for that. It's not my area. So and I think that that actually can be critical because it's hard to a lot of what I end up doing is I need context for where we are at. So even if I'm high level up and I'm not writing code, I do look at code reviews. I do look at pull requests. I am tracking what's getting built because when I go into that product grooming meeting with the founders, I need to know where we're at so I can help us figure out where we're going to go. And I can't get that context unless two things are happening. Amazing documentation, which some teams are great at, others are not. And so that's always a fly ball, whether or not I have the documentation in place to help me understand what's getting changed. And then the, the code reviews, like pull requests and those sorts of things, if they're not organized or if I can't look at them in 20, 30 seconds and understand what's going on, it creates a challenge for me to get context for, for where we need to go. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, my role is to report up to the founders and give them direction. And, and like I mentioned, if I don't know where we're going, it's hard to tell them, you know, where we're at, essentially. To what extent and in what areas do you generally coach the developers working under you? Are you coaching them? I mean, you already talked about like story, uh, writing stories. Are you coaching them on how to organize pull requests and, and how to use Git and, and agile practices and things like that? Or yeah, how, how in the weeds do you get in that sort of stuff? Yeah, they hopefully I don't have to do a lot of Git training. I specifically will make my technical assessment. So I do take homes. I structure them so that I at least know you know Git <laughs> to some degree and the way I do the take home. So I don't necessarily focus on that, but some of the areas I do focus on pull requests. I love pull request templates. Uh, you know, you put the the check the template into the, the GitHub repo and it can give you a formulaic at least template. And then I sort of create that expectation on the developer that please fill this out. You don't have to be hemming, like you could give me a sentence. Just give me something though. The last thing I want is an empty pull, pull request description. That's because what ends up happening, I parachute into a pull request as I usually call it. Like I jump in, I have no idea what I'm going to get when I open up a pull request. And so getting in and looking at the descriptions and understanding what is in this PR, that's step one in sort of getting developers on board. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's about them managing up to me, to, to keep me in sort of in the loop with context. So helping them understand how do I properly document a pull request? How do I update a story? moving the stories around on the board for stand-up. So those are some of the, sort of the, I guess, the administrative things around it. But the actual code itself, I rarely, I actually make it a point not to tell them how to do things from an implementation perspective. And I will typically say, that's not my job. Like, I don't tell you how to do it, right? I, I tell you what we need to do and why, that's my role. But I don't tell you how to do it. And I've run into this issue with some of my clients where I don't I don't pick the tech stacks because it's not my again, not my role. And so I've I've gone through the tailwind versus style components and React. If I don't know if you're familiar with these frameworks. And it's sort of that piece of I had a client where one developer came in, started with Tailwind, they hired two more devs, they didn't like Tailwind. And then we had this issue and this struggle where 
some of them wanted to move off of Tailwind, some of them did, and, and at the same time, like, I don't want to get involved because I don't write the code. So I, I don't want to force my opinions on the developers who do the work. So so with that said, I, I try not to get too nitty-gritty with the folks around it. However, if there are junior developers, and this is specifically for, for more senior developers, I'm not going to get involved, but for the junior developers, I will definitely make more of an effort, though, to give them from some pointers, uh, you know, maybe if I see something in their P PR, be like, hey, you know, I can get a little nitpicky. Like, create a constant file. Like, don't, don't like have these strings like just defined wherever, and then you're checking them. I'm like, make a constant file. Put your, put, you know, put things in a constant file. Or, or maybe I might ask, you know, around the testing. That's another big piece in the in the PRs is making sure that um, I love GitHub Actions for this. So. You know, I'll set up sort of those GitHub actions to, to make sure that the tests are getting written and, and I'll push on people about tests. So I, I guess I do get a little hands on in, in some of those areas. What's your um, thought or experience working with offshore developers? I imagine I imagine that has happened. Uh, at least a lot of the sort of companies that I've experienced who might be in the market for a fractional CTO, they hired an offshore team to, to build their stuff on the cheap. And it turned out not to be cheap. So you kind of come in and you're dealing with these mm -hmm. offshores versus maybe you're trying to hire in-house. What, what, what's your thought around that whole topic? Yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions. And <laughs> I would say, you know, take, take my opinions as, with a grain of salt. But this has been my experience. I believe that we are in a global market and that a good developer knows what they're worth. And a good developer that is sort of senior, writes their own stories, can manage their work, is good at, you know, opens up great pull requests, writes tests, that developer can get paid between 80 to $120 an hour. That's, that's the market rate for that developer. I don't care where they live, that's what it is. Now what happens, and, and let's say the lower end market, a developer starting out maybe 25 to 40 an hour. And, and there's, you know, some, some room between all that. Now, where you live does start to factor in because someone, let's say I have a client and they think, well, I only want to spend $30, $25 an hour on a developer. So I instantly think that I should go overseas to get that developer because I'm going to get the cheapest developer possible. And, and that's true. You can get some fairly inexpensive developers for $25 an hour anywhere, though. You can technically get them here in the United States. You can get a boot camp grad for $25 an hour here in the United States as well. The thing is, though, you might be able to get someone, let's say, in, in, I'm just going to pick a country like India. So you might be able to get a $25 developer in India who's, who's maybe a little bit more senior than the boot camp grad. So, you know, your mileage may vary. But end of the day, what I've seen is this piece of, I had a client who was only willing to spend $20 an hour on a developer, and they weren't getting good results. And I'm sort of, you know, I had to be honest with them, like, well, it's $25 developer. What do you, what do you expect? You're not, they're, they're not, I mean, they're an okay developer, but they're not going to go above and beyond. They don't care about your business. Like they, they show up, they write code and that's it. And they're not going to solve problems. They don't, they're not a partner. And so you want someone to come in here and actually take ownership over this code base and give you high quality code. You're going to have to pay more money. Simple as that. So I think it, it ends up being that piece where, you know, you're, you're going to spend what you're going to spend on developers. And really, it comes down to assembling a team that works together. And 
finding those folks and, and putting it together. The one piece that ends up becoming though is who runs that team ultimately. Because for my clients, a lot of the offshore or outsourcing we do, uh, I'm still there running the show, like making sure code is getting merged. And one of the interesting things, and this is your area, is the DevOps piece. Getting developers to do the DevOps, to do deployments, that is, and release management is a whole nother piece of the technical um, system, you know? like releases happen every week <laughs> and like and they take coordination and effort and i think my clients sometimes forget that and then you know and explain to them like you can't have a 20 dollars developer doing that <laughs> like you're gonna have to hire someone a little more senior in charge of your infrastructure and your release strategy so i think in those challenges it's sort of communicating them that you know devops professionals and, and sort of that infrastructure release management that is a different piece and i think there's unfortunately a really big gap in that area around project management release like my clients that want to replace me that's where the the, the wheels come off essentially is you can't find a senior technical project man or product manager who's willing to come in and do all this for twenty dollars an hour that that person knows very well that they could go make a significant amount of money working at any other software company because any company is going to easily hire them for you know 140 150 to, to run that process at least if not more you talked about being a partner um you know that, that higher paid developers that act more like partners when you join a company mm -hmm. as a fractional cto what is your take on your partnership with the company because it, it i imagine it's it's less than if you were full-time or at least i can imagine that most people think that maybe it's not true um but it feels like you're, it probably feels like you're less committed. Um, mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Are, are you just as committed or, or is it somewhere between? <laughs> you know, it, it's a good question. I, it depends on the client. I'll okay. say that. It does depend on the client. Some clients, I don't know, they, they keep you a little bit of a distance because you aren't fully committed. And I've had that where I'm, I'm sort of not really in the team. I'm not invited to all the events. There's things, there's conversations that I'm not part of. And in those cases, yeah, I don't feel as involved um, because I'm not. And so that's very natural to feel that way, that I'm just sort of there to um, keep, put the cart on the, on the rail and keep it there and make sure it moves. And that's fine. I show up and do that work. And then I have the other clients that they truly value my, my insight, my feedback and I have very candid calls with them especially the early stage founders that have raised money and it might be their first time running a startup it's, and which it's a roller coaster for them especially as a CEO and being able to really have that one-on-one -on -one with another CEO and sort of have that CEO to CEO conversation around how hard it is you know how are we going to hire what's the runway how much like how much money do we have and a big piece of it also, I've been on the other side of the boardroom. So when I was at Hickory, I was, I was in the boardroom meetings and, and would hear investors talk and understanding the pressure in that room that happens to the founders. I think in those situations, I, I form a really close partnership with these founders because in some ways it's almost therapy for them to have someone else that's not an investor who's not being, I'm not judging them. I'm not 
you know, going to go tell on them <laughs> like, oh, <Right>. they're, <laughs> hey, this founder is doing this. You know, that's not what I'm there for. So I think in a lot of ways in those relationships, I it's much closer and, and I feel very connected to the team versus the other clients that may or may not have that relationship with me. And so I, I, I think it can range. But, you know, I usually I give it my all <laughs> if I can, you know, if I'm if they let me in. That's uh, that's sort of how I work. OK. What's your what's your personal exit strategy? And I don't mean for the startups, but I mean, like as a fractional CTO, what's your goal? Is your goal to help them graduate to a full time CTO and, and, re- and replace you? Um, or, yeah. or, or is there some other goal that you're, you're aiming for? It could be a few different states. For some, it is. Let's get you to a place where you go get a CTO at some point. I, I believe there's something to be said, and I, I can't take credit for this. This is Nelly uh, Yasopova. She's also a fractional CTO, though. She's a little, uh, she's also here in New York, but she sells more on the startup side and does a little bit more uh, upfront planning work. But she once made this great comment that you don't you don't hire a CTO, you you earn your CTOs, and that you have to get your company to a place where you can attract a CTO. And I I'd agree with her assessment on that. I think it's very true. And so from my perspective, helping a startup get further along in the company that they could actually recruit and retain a CTO on their own would be the, the goal in a lot of times for these companies. And so that's, that is sort of what I am doing with one of my clients right now. I've been there now three months, got them through a big security governance compliance um, process with a, with a banking for their payments. And now we're hiring some more developers. We've launched the pilot. And I believe by August, they're going to probably raise another round. And at that point, I think they could probably go hire a, a full-time CTO because they, they'll have extra money. They'll have a product launch. They, they'll have an engineering team already in place. And so hiring a CTO will be much easier. So, cause one piece to it, right? You're, you can't hire a CTO if you don't have any developers. Cause I've seen a client try and, and do that game where there's no developers and they're just saying, we're going to go hire a CTO. And, and I'm saying, you no, you're not. No CTO will come here with zero engineers. They don't. They don't want to start from scratch. No CTO wants that headache. Most CTOs don't want to do recruiting. So good luck finding someone to come here and, and start from square one. What does the let's talk about the dirty topic of money for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what what does it cost to hire a fractional CTO? I'm, I'm sure there's a range because you. I mean, yeah. Fractional could be anywhere from one tenth to, to to half, maybe. I don't I don't know how that works. Yeah, here's and I'm trying to work out the the pricing and and as you mentioned the uh, the previous interview I did with Managers Club, I, I definitely talk about some of the the, the numbers as well because I, I think it's good to be transparent to folks. So if you're not familiar with Rand's list, there is a it's a Slack channel and for for engineers, senior leaders, and in there I've seen people quote. You know, two hundred, three hundred dollars an hour for fractional CTOs. I think that's possible if you're billing hourly. But as you know from, because you know, you and I have met through the the JS group. Uh, there's what you would call value based retainers. You know, and, and structuring a not charging hourly, right, is a is a big piece of how you price. So, if you're looking to hire a fractional CTO, 
you kind of need to be aware of that. If you're going to pay someone hourly, they're going to charge you most likely more money. And, and you could go from anywhere in that range. You can end up getting a fractional CTO, let's say sub 200. So let's say 140 to 180. You might be able to get a fractional CTO per, per hour and, and give you some level of commitment. The thing about a fractional CTO is that it comes down to how much bandwidth they're willing to give you. And so when I first got started, I would sometimes give people an intro because they'd be like, how do I know you're any good? I don't know you. And so when I first got started, I would do, I think 20 hours or no, I'd do 10 hours a week. So 40 in total for the month. And I would build that hourly. And my role would just be to come in, do some code reviews, maybe run a standup or two. And that was enough in the early days at 10 hours. But that's only maybe two developers on the team. If you have more than two developers, that's not going to work. Because one thing I've realized to manage a developer, it's between five to 10 hours a week per developer. So if you have two developers, I could potentially need 20 hours to manage them. And by manage, I mean, I'm, I'm grooming the work, I'm figuring out what they're working on, I'm doing the code reviews, there, there's a bunch of activities that I'm doing in that. And so that's, that's one way to kind of look at the, like if you're gonna hire someone, what are you looking at like to get intro? And so at, at that 120, let's say 150, an hour, you're looking at probably five, six grand for the month, I think at that point, uh, for, for a fractional CTO. And then I think what can end up happening is, let's say you wanna bring someone in a little bit more, like now you want this fractional CTO to maybe give you 80 hours a month and not 40. So in that case, now you're gonna to start to look at probably a, a 14 to $15,000 commitment. And in, that, and in that sense, per month, you're looking at someone who's probably making 80, 180 a month or a year in salary. So it starts to get very much in line uh, with that. I think the trade-off to realize is that the fractional CTO does have a limit to how much they can do. So for myself, I can really only do two clients at a time. I I've spoken to some fractional CTOs who claim they do more. I don't know if they're being, if they're just kind of, you know, thumping their chest and saying they have extra clients and, and, and it's not true. And so I'm, I'm gonna be honest and say, I can really only do two. The one piece that I also run my own startup, get Babel, so that that also factors in. So technically I'm running three sort of clients, but one of them is my own. And then the other and the other two are just basically, I, ha I have two clients and I'm helping at a time. And, and I make that very clear to everybody. It's like, I only have two clients. And so it, it does work in my favor because I create some FOMO, I'm like, if you're not going to commit, I'm going to go find another client. And since I have limited bandwidth, you know, you have to like commit back to me in, in our retainers, essentially. Does equity ever play into a compensation for a fractional CTO? It usually does, I think, for, for especially a founding CTO. But uh, as a fractional CTO, do they offer, offer you that or how does that go? So as I've been going in over time with, with the clients over the last year, now they're starting to offer me equity as I'm looking to, to transition out of the, the organization and looking to draw down on my retainers. And in those cases, I, I am looking to kind of take on some. The thing about equity is the more you take, the more involved you have to be. So you have to ask yourself, how involved do you want to be in this company? Because if you're going to take, not someone should ever do this to a fractional CTO, but let's say someone gave me 5% of the company or offered me 5%, I probably want to take it because that's a lot of equity to give someone that's not gonna be a day-to-day -day contributor in the organization. So 
I would, and I've had this conversation with folks before that are like, oh, I could get 30% of the company. And I'm like, why would you do that to the founder? You're going to, you're going to mess them up. Like they might not realize what that means, but I can tell you that that's a lot of equity to take and you're not actually contributing. You're just going to get on a call once a week with the person and and talk. Uh, I'm like, that's don't do that to them. And I think similar, similarly, I wouldn't do that to a founder. I want to take a big chunk of equity. I think it's good to have some equity on the upside, because to be honest, if I've spent six months helping you build and create an engineering organization that can now ship and deliver on its own, that's valuable. And I would want a little bit of equity possibly from that. So I'm, I'm not opposed to taking it, especially if I know, you know, I've built this company to succeed. So maybe I should get a little bit of the upside on that. And so I'm, I'm not opposed to taking equity. I just, I would be, um, you know, just reluctant to take a lot. I, for me personally, I, I probably wouldn't take anything more than 1%. So maybe quarter points, quarter and half points are very common in, in the world of advising. If you're not getting paid and you're just taking equity, cause you can do that as it's very common in startups to have a board of advisors and you're paying them all a quarter point of equity every year. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> cool. Uh, earlier in our conversation, you said, um, no CTO wants to join before you have developers. Mm-hmm. Would you say the same about fractional CTO or would it make sense to hire a fractional CTO to hire your first developer for you? <laughs> I think a fractional CTO could do that. That's And that's sort of definitely something I do as I pitch to clients that are looking to hire me potentially is if they have no developers. I'm like, it works for me. We'll build a process and go get you some developers. And go from there. My one caveat would usually be, do you have a product roadmap and do you know what you're building? Like, do you have anything? Because what could happen there is that they don't have anything built yet. And so then I do have to figure out like, what is the stack? Are we doing it all in node? Cause I don't know what developer we're hiring and, and they may or may not have a job description yet. And that would be like the starting point is figuring out what it is we're building. But in some cases, they may have code. Maybe they've hired a developer and they fired that developer. And so they, they do have some legacy piece of code. So then I got to figure out, do we start from scratch or do I pick up where this developer left off? And if so, let's say they were building a Django app, it might just be like, okay, we're just going to keep using Django. I'm not going to, because I can manage a Django project and I'll just keep moving that forward. And so it does, I do do that. I think one thing that I haven't mentioned, there are, there are some fractional CTOs out there that have their own dev teams. And what they do is they operate more as an agency. I don't run that business model, but some do. And the piece being there, then some clients don't want to actually go hire developers. They actually want a fractional CTO that has a team of devs on the bench that they can just utilize. Not all, but some. And there's, and there's a trade-off there because in, in my estimation, right, the type of clients I like to help team build teams is that I want you to own your team. They're your developers. You want them building value for you long-term and, and make that investment in your, your company. If they're my developers, they're my developers. And when I leave, they come with me. And so it's, it's very two very different fractional CTO businesses that you end up building. And what ends up happening is you become more of an agency once you start going that route and you have developers that you sort of lease, as I would call it, to a, to a client. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, fascinating. 
if somebody is listening to this and they decided that maybe a fractional CTO is right for them, or, or they at least want to look into it more, what do you recommend they they do? I mean, you mentioned there's some marketplaces. Do you recommend any, or or should you look look on LinkedIn? How do you find? How do you connect with somebody who might help you with this? I think it's going to become more prevalent that there will be these marketplaces, and then ultimately, it's it's sort of like anything. You'll be able to sort of sort through folks, and again, figure out which ones you might want to hire. You know, here's the thing: they all they all take a cut, so you're going to pay more. So any CTO on there, right? They're going to give probably twenty percent of their take. To this agency and so if you're able to find and you, you're going to pay for that you know like that's that's the thing you run into when you hire people off of marketplaces is that there's a there's a cut in there and, and you pay for that essentially so if you're able to source your own person could be could be a better route good um and of course you said you only handle two clients so it doesn't sound like you're looking for new clients right now and even if you are at some point in the future your limit your availability is extremely limited yeah uh but if somebody is interested in getting in contact with you um do you have a website to share or or social yeah, media yeah. I'm, I'm just morecraft.com. you can totally go to my site it's nothing fancy it's just got some information about me a bio it's got my contact form so you can you can email me there and, and that, that'll go directly to me also a great place to connect with me on linkedin i'm active on linkedin i think a lot of a lot of the fractional CTO community is it's definitely active on LinkedIn because it's just a great place for us to be, whether we're sharing content, you know, social media posts, or even just messaging one another. So there's there's some folks there. So I would say those are two really great channels to, to kind of connect with me, and, and I'm happy to engage with folks. If you have any questions whatsoever, happy to talk. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. Is there is there anything you would like to add uh, before we sign off for today. Maybe just a plug for my, my personal startup, Get Babble. So I'm building a, a learning and knowledge platform for engineers is how it started off. I've been evolving it now to the fractional CTO side. I think one of the things I've now learned is being a manager of, you know, at one point I, I had four clients. And so that essentially meant I had five development teams across, you know, eight time zones. <laughs> it was, it was mayhem to manage that many, you know, manage 20 developers in a bunch of different teams, essentially. And so that context switching was challenging. And so one of the things that I've been, I've been focusing on with what I do at GitBabble is how do I build a platform for fractional CTOs? So if anyone's interested in sort of a different type of engineering management solution. I'm definitely working on that. So come over and definitely check it out. And um, I'm happy to answer any questions or, or if you have ideas on sort of what are challenges that you you have and are looking to solve, uh, definitely reach out. I'm also happy to talk about that as well. Very good. Well, once again, thanks, Morgan, for coming on. It's been an educational conversation. And I'll, I and all of our listeners, I promise, will check out GitBabble. <laughs> and uh, We'll be in touch. No, no, that's great. So I much. appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.